Hey, good morning. Let's go to Psalm 104. We'll be there in a few minutes. We'll also be in 1 Corinthians today, so you can start making your way there through you version or your Bible. Have you guys ever heard of the term being Jesus juked? In case you don't know, that's when you're having a conversation with someone and the conversation exchange is going great. Uh, then they totally bring something so spiritual that ends the conversation. You've been Jesus juked then. That's what, that's what that means. So in case you didn't know, well, the whole church just got Jesus juked by Pastor Jacob because he claimed to read the book of Leviticus on a Saturday night. Dude, you're more spiritual than any of us now. So, hey, congratulations. Well, that was a good segue into what I want to tell you today. This is really the message God's put on my heart. And here's the message. The message is in the title. You are enough. I want you to hear this today from the Lord that you are enough. As I was just meditating and praying about what to speak this particular Sunday, and now it's going to go into next Sunday too. The message is, the Lord wants you to know you are enough. Now, as he stirred that in me and, and led me to scripture, and we have lots of scripture we'll get to uh, in just a few minutes as this sermon unfolds. You know, I had a, a bit of, has been helpful for us preachers, is we want to make sure that our sermons are God-centered, not man-centered. I mean, that's a really helpful filter to make sure that we're not making the sermon about people, but we're making it about God. And yet, my sermon title says, you are enough. So I want to say right up front, I want to qualify this by saying, you are enough because God is more than enough. And it's because of God's work in you that makes you enough. And you don't have to measure up to some standard that God did not place on you but someone else has placed on you. You are enough because of God's sovereignty. You are enough because of God's power. You are enough because of God's son, Jesus. You are enough because of the atonement, the resurrection. You are enough because of the sending of the Holy Spirit. You are enough because of the cross. I forgot that one. That's in there too. The cross, the resurrection, the sending of the Holy Spirit. You are enough because Jesus conquered Satan and he will assert his authority at the end of this age and the end of this era. And Satan and all his demonic forces will be put into the lake of fire forever. You are enough because God is enough. So everything you need, God has supplied for you. And I want us to feel this encouragement today and receive it because the enemy is always trying to attack our identity. All of us deal with that. All of us deal with that where the enemy wants to attack the essence of who we are. And so we measure ourselves not against the standards of the world. We measure ourselves to God who is our encourager, who we are created in his image. Because of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, here today, you are enough. You need to hear this because if you're like me, sometimes I don't feel good enough. I don't feel adequate enough. I don't feel successful enough. And I know when I begin to spiral, because we know that negative thinking, thinking from the enemy can take us in a spiral. And the next thing we know, it, it, it is something so much heavier than just a negative thought. We, we have a form of self-hatred. I know it's strong words that I'm choosing right now. A form of self-hatred, which comes from the enemy. It doesn't come from the Lord. And that form of self-hatred, uh, we can begin to personify that. And, and that becomes more real to us than the voice of the Lord. So that's what we want to 
push back against this morning through the different scriptures that we have to share. Before we get to that, I want to tell you a little story. Now, some of you who are younger, you guys may not do this anymore or did not do this 10 or 15 years ago. When I was a kid, on Valentine's Day, you would bring to school a Valentine's box. You would, you would save a shoe box when you bought some new shoes and then get wrapping paper and create this box so that you could receive the Valentines from everybody. So we were supposed to bring a Valentine's box to the school and I didn't have anyone who could really help me that particular day. My mom, she was a school teacher, so for whatever reason, she was not available. My dad ran a plumbing company. He was a plumber. And the thought of going to my dad and saying, Dad, would you help me make a Valentine's box? You didn't do that 35 years ago. I mean, that was not even a thought that crossed my mind. Nowadays, I think that some of the moms like make their husbands create Valentine's box and video it and post it on social media. But back then we didn't do those type of things. So if your dad was, you know, if your mom wasn't available to help you, you found another mom, right? You went next door and, and, and hopefully your friend's mom would help you. I had an older sister and she always would help me like that, but she wasn't available at the time. I had an older brother and I knew that if I asked him, to help me uh, create a Valentine's box, he'd beat me up, you know? So that wasn't an option either. And don't feel sorry for me. It, it helped me with football and all that stuff because he'd beat me up all the time. So I thank him for that now. Um, so this was a situation where I had to create the box myself. So I got construction paper and I got tape and I got scissors and I did the whole thing. I got markers and I created something and man, I was pretty proud of it, pretty proud. And I won an award. The award was not first place, not second place, not third place. It was a new award created for the most original Valentine's box. <laughs> I found out later that in the teacher's lounge, it was the joke. The joke was I was the only kid who had this terrible looking Valentine's box. And so a couple of things I learned. First of all, I learned I'm not an artist in that way. I learned that the American educational system is a fraud because it's based off cheating and inauthentic work. So, you know, all the parents who stayed up all night creating these fancy bows and all this kind of stuff, you know, that, so th those are some things that helped me. But I actually enjoy the process, and that's what probably the original purpose was. The process of creating, and I was proud of my box, because what we create, we own. Okay, what we create, we love. So I'm going to give you a simplistic point before we go into scripture, because I want you to hear God's heart for you. And here it is. Here's the first point today is that you are designed. Okay. You knew this before you came to church today, but you needed to hear it this morning. So I'm not giving you information you don't know. I want to give you a reality that you feel in your heart. So our first scripture today is out of Psalm 104 verse 24. How countless are your works, Lord, in wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. It's a beautiful scripture. God, the creator, did not stop creating in Genesis 1 and 2. God is still creating. And God creates out of intelligence. I want you to understand this. He creates out of wisdom. He creates out of sovereignty. And so when we observe creation... I mean, you observe the animal kingdom, you observe all of the 
uh, of the variety that is in horticulture and all of the different things of creation that you enjoy is, is pointing to the intelligence and creativity of our God. God is creative. Now, down the aisle, to your right or to your left, don't look in front of you and certainly don't look behind you, is God is creative and how he's, cre- he's created us. And I want you to know this is that he's created us differently for a reason and that we should embrace that and not reject that. There is so much self-rejection all of us have been part of. All of us has, have rejected a part of ourselves for various reasons, but the Lord is saying, receive who you are in me. Receive how I've created you. Be who I've created you to be. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to mimic someone else. Be who I've created you to be. And when we can do that, I know it's not easy. I mean, I know it's not just hearing a sermon. Okay, I'm going to do that now. But I want to set you on a pathway today. I want you to set you on a pathway where you can be comfortable with who God's made you. Not live in the perilous of comparison, the negative aspect of comparison. Not live under the curse of words spoken over you that are not of the Lord, but to say, I am designed by God, and I'm exactly the way God wants me to be. I can grow from here, but the essence of who I am, the basic components are who God has created me to be. And that's why I want you to hear this. Your handicap is not an accident. Your handicap is not an accident. We all have something we would describe as a handicap. But a handicap is not an accident. The Lord, the Lord is sovereign over his design. We're in a remarkable but alarming time in human development. When, when we have major shifts in humanity, those who are alive at the time, we don't realize what a major shift it is because we're right in the middle of the change. And a lot of the change is coming uh, through genetic alteration. And there are some positive things about genetic alteration. I mean, there are some things that we can celebrate. A lot of our uh, uh, a lot of uh, Christian scientists and researchers and ethicists are part of this. And there are some, some things when done properly and ethically and within biblical boundaries uh, bring us great promise. But it's also a very scary time. It's a scary time because we don't know ethically. Um, it, it feels like, or I think this is true, that scientific development is much faster than our ability to have. All of this was accelerated in 2020 in ways most of us aren't realizing because we're in the middle of the change. So biologically, there, there are some great concerns of what type of mutations could, could occur through research and so forth. So with all of this, I'm here to talk to you about what ancient biblical spirit, spirit-led wisdom is through scripture. And the God who has always been and the God who will always be. And what does he say? And we see that in the Bible that God is not just for the strong, but he's also for the weak. God is not just for what society has labeled the useful. God is also for the needy. God is not just for those who keep it together. God is for the broken. And I'm so glad because that's who we are. We are broken and needy and weak people. 
And God is gathering his people. This is the story of creation. God, as our Father, is gathering all of creation under his lordship and under his reign. That's the bigger story we don't see in the midst of our daily grind and our daily struggles, that God is gathering his people. He's not just gathering the elite. He's not gathering the strong, as Darwinism would say, only the strong survive. He is gathering all even those that society has marginalized who have said are unuseful, weak, and are, are, are not, don't serve our purpose. God is gathering them all. And in the book of Jeremiah, there's a rich scripture. And it, the scriptures I'm going to share with you today have multiple meanings. And it's certainly the scripture, I believe, refers to Zionism and what's happening today in Jerusalem and the regathering of the Jews in Israel, which I am behind and I'm for. But there's also a meaning beyond that of what God is doing with all his children. Verse 8, for I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth. And this is the part for today's message that I want, I want you to, to see and understand. I will not forget the blind and lame, the expectant mothers and women in labor. A great company will return. Let's just stay there for a second on verse 8. As you see that, God, as he gathers together humanity under his lordship, human power says eliminate the blind, eliminate the lame. Human power doesn't care for the unborn, doesn't care for those in the womb. God says, those are the people I'm gathering. And and I want you to see clearly the biblical call to be anti-abortion is clear right there. I want to speak it clearly and boldly. God believes through his word that a human in the womb is a real life and he's sovereign over that and we should not take the power we should not take the power there are there are human rights and women's rights and the women in the womb have rights also this is part of a bigger picture that those who are weak those who are blind, those that society wants to get rid of, those that society wants to eliminate. We, we are part of God's gathering. It says all are welcome to the kingdom. All are welcome to come in. A great company will return. Now we go to verse 9. Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. And they will walk beside quiet streams. And on smooth paths where they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my oldest child. I want you to hear this. Is that your handicap, whatever that is to you, whether it's something physical, whether it's something mental or emotional, whether it's even something that a perpetual sin that you you do well on and you fall back, you do well and you fall back. And this is not disqualifiers. The kingdom of God is for the weak, for the blind, for the lame, for those who are fragile. You know a pregnant woman is fragile and you can't move as fast. You have to care for her with greater care because she is carrying life. And so now what we want to do as a culture, and this is in, in real time and metaphorically, is just move on, move past that. God says, no, in my gathering, all are welcome, even the things that are fragile. Even the, even the, the things that are fragile are welcome into my kingdom. The apostle Paul, you know, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, which is probably a lot of people who are, who are listening to this sermon right now. And he received amazing revelations about the gospel 
an amazing revelations even about heaven. In fact, he had such great revelations. He said, I can't even, you guys can't handle this. I'm not even going to write about this yet. He had amazing revelations. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12, starting with verse 7, he, he started about this revelation and he said, especially because of the extraordinary revelations, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. So you, the question is, well, what was the thorn in the flesh? Well, no one really knows. Um, theologians, they like to guess, and that's kind of a fun thing for seminary professors to do, to fill in the back few minutes of their class, maybe. But no one really knows. And I'm glad we don't know for sure. Because then we would think the thorn in the flesh was something specific. Instead, we all can relate to a thorn in the flesh. And now, now that we know that, reading on, it says, it says in verse 8, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. This is a whole different view of weakness. We, li we live in a culture that wants to eliminate weakness, that wants us always to see weakness as something that restricts us from advancement. And God's saying, your weakness is a chance for my power to show up. Your weakness is a chance for me to use you in ways that I can't use you when you're taking pride in your strength. When we have humility in our weakness, watch what the Lord can do. The Apostle Paul talks about this more um, in, in chapter 12. Actually, no, I'm off. I'm off on that. So let, let me, I'm, I apologize for that. It's like I didn't preach a sermon, right? at 9 a.m. So I, I want to encourage you this. Thank God. Thank God for your weakness. This is turning things around. Why? Because your weakness is God's opportunity. And so reposition your weakness instead of despising your weakness, which is our natural reaction. Position your weakness. Reposition it under God's leadership. Reposition it under God's grace. It's not an easy thing to do but it's an invitation God has for you. Now let's talk about making purchases. We live in an, an economy which is predicated on your dissatisfaction, right? Dissatisfied, dissatisfaction with the things that you have. And, and because of that, we have to get something new. And it feels good to buy something new. Haven't you noticed though that it's different to rent something than to buy something? So when you rent a car, for those of you who do that sometimes, you know that part of your, your fee is people are going to clean the car afterwards. So if you have a coffee cup, you just leave there. If you have a bag of food, you just throw it on the floor. If you, if you have a straw wrapper, you just kind of flick it there. Oh, y'all don't do that? Come on, you guys are more holy than me? Okay, I see that. You are all, all, all of you are Jesus juking me now, right now on that. But if you own a car and, and, you're, and you're making payments on it, and you, you see a little speck of lint on the floor, you're like, pick that up right now. Why, it's my car. <laughs> don't, don't get out of this car with, with your, your speck of flint in my car. Why, we value what we purchase. And here's my second and final point today. 
that God wants you to know you are enough because you are purchased. You are purchased. And we're going to get back to to the scriptures I was thinking of just momentarily ago. I want to share you three separate scriptures. Again, all of them have dual meaning, multiple meanings, because the word of God's so rich, right? But I want you to see, as we look at these scriptures, that you were purchased. Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 28. Keep watch over yourself. Be on guard for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God. Here's the reason why. I want you to see this. Which he purchased with his own blood. So the church is not a building. The church is not a denomination. It's not an organization. The church is the people. And I want you to see from this scripture that this church has been purchased by Jesus and by his blood. You have been purchased. You have been bought. You belong to Jesus. Because you belong to Jesus, you're valuable to Jesus. Because you've been purchased by him, you have great value. You're not a rental. You're owned. You're owned in a good way. Now we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you're going to see this theme twice in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, starting with verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Now look at this line, and, and it'll just sink into your heart. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify your God. Glorify God with your body. And that's hard as Americans for us to hear. I love our country, and our country was based off individual freedom. Individual freedom gives us the freedom to choose Jesus. We can choose where to go to church, when to go to church, if to go to church. And so we have the freedom to choose Jesus because of the country we live in is one of the reasons. But then we forget that when we choose Jesus, we don't own ourselves anymore. So the individual freedom that leads us to to a civic culture where civically we can choose Jesus is counter to our surrender to Jesus because we're not owned. And we we don't even own our bodies. Again, that's a narrative today that is counter to Scripture. We are beings made up of spirit, soul, and body. Our spirit is a part of us that relates to Yahweh, our God. Our soul is our personality and our thoughts and and our emotions and our ability ability to even be aware of ourselves. And then our body also belongs to the Lord. And and this is a part that we don't reflect on enough. We, We lean into an old heresy that all we are is spirit and the body doesn't matter. The body matters in life and the body matters in death. Because our physical bodies will be resurrected with Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so we should give great thought on how we treat our bodies in life and how we treat our bodies in death. Because our body is symbolic of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus was resurrected as the first fruits. The first fruits of what? Us. So that's why we are going to rise with Christ. Our soul and spirit is contained by this body and this body will be glorified. So your body's not your own. 
So even decisions we make about our bodies, we at least ought to submit them to the Lord and ask the Lord's, the Lord's will in that and the Lord's purpose in that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says it this way, flee from sexual immorality. Well, there's a 52-week sermon right there, huh? That could, be a, that could be a long sermon series. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, not everyone's going to agree with me what I say here, but I'll just give you my opinion on something. That sins of the mind are different than sins of the mind and the body. And I believe the scripture supports that. Verse 19, they're different in consequence. Let's put it that way. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. This is the part I want you to see. You are not your own. That's how verse 19's, 19 ends. And it even feels different, doesn't it? Because we've been trained even through our education system to, to be so concerned about us. But as believers, you are not your own. Now look at verse 20. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. It's a beautiful surrender to him. In life and death, all of us are the Lord's. Spirit, soul, and body. Let me close with this. Jesus did not purchase us with his blood and with his sacrifice on the cross and the power of his resurrection to abdicate abdicate authority and ownership. We belong to him. I'm speaking to you as believers here. I'm speaking to you as believers that you belong to the Lord and his ownership of you says you're enough. That's, his ownership of you says you've been chosen. His ownership of you, you've been picked out. His ownership of you means that you've had the ability to choose Christ because grace has come to you and prepared your heart to choose Christ. And this is the message we have to keep reminding our souls of and reminding our spirits of, not the messages that have polluted the spirit and polluted the soul. I, I want us to, if, if we're able to, to, to move down to a time of prayer and if you're able to, I want us just to stand together as we just continue this ministry time. Father, we just welcome you here right now. You are enough. This is what the Lord wanted to say to you today. You are enough. You are not missing something in the Lord. You are not missing something in the Lord if you're following his word and you're following his ways. And the self-hatred, the self-hatred is a lie that you've been listening to, but the Lord wants to expose it today. He wants to expose it this morning. He wants to expose it. These next few minutes are real important to what the Lord's doing right now. I, I want to speak freedom over you through what Jesus did on the cross. I want to speak freedom over you through what Jesus did in the resurrection. And this is specifically what I feel like the Lord was stirring in us today is that some of us uh, people who are the closest to us, people that we're in a covenant relationship, the family's a covenant relationship. So parents, fathers, mothers, certainly spouses. I think there's other friends that have been like in covenant relationship with you through church work. They've been in covenant relationship through you just through a heavy experience, whether it was going through a trauma together or maybe it was going through a military together or, or just a key time in your life. And this is what the Lord is saying to us is that you have been spoken over by someone so close to you that they've said you're not enough. 
They've said, you're not enough. You're, you're, and they've spoken that over you either overtly, they maybe have said those words, or you have felt it with their actions. And you have felt this thing, I'm not enough. And I want you to hear this. That is not the word spoken over you. That is not the word of your destiny. Then that's not the word of your God. It's someone who was very closely soul tied with you. And that person is not the problem because we don't struggle against flesh and blood. It's the spirit behind the words. It's a place of exposure. It's a place of weakness. It's a place that someone really close to us can get to part of our spirit that other people can't get to. And so the enemy finds that back door and he's coming and he's lying to you through the accuser of the brethren. And it might have come through a person, but I want to tell you those words come from the pit of hell itself, speaking against your worth, speaking against your identity, speaking against what God has said over you and for you and to you. And I I want you to hear this today. Those words will not, through the work of Jesus, be, be seated in your life and come to fruit because there's a greater word and the greater word comes through a greater authority. Jesus Christ himself, he is the only one worthy to open the seals that lets go the goodness of God upon this earth. He's the only one who's qualified and he has authority over you and he has spoken a different word over you. It's not a word of curse. It's not a word of worthlessness. It's not a word that is that produces self-hate. It's a word from the throne of God that says you're chosen by me. You are anointed because of my sovereign grace over your life. You have a great destiny in me. And the Lord wanted me to say this today. You are enough because of what Jesus did for you. And I want you to receive that today, not as just a good sermon, because you could access a good sermon. You can access a good sermon another way. I want you to hear God's word reflected in scripture over you this day that you're moving into a new season. You're moving into a holiday season. We've got a new year coming around the the corner and there's pressure. There's already the pressure of people who are marketing a new year's resolution so they can make money off you. They can make you feel like you're less than. They can make you feel discontent. They can make you feel that, that compared to others, you're missing out on something. And Jesus says that I am your sufficiency. I am your all in all. I am everything you need. And that is God's word spoken over you this day. So Father, we receive, Lord, what you have spoken this day. Lord, we receive this scripture in Psalm 104. Lord, we are creatures created in your wisdom. We receive, God, the revelation by the prophet Jeremiah that you're gathering the blind and you're gathering the pregnant and you're gathering the lame and you're gathering us for your purposes. Lord, we receive, Lord, Lord, the apostle Paul's teaching, Lord, that in our weakness, you make us strong. And Father God, we say, Lord, that we reject words from the enemy so that great fruit would come forward. Great fruit would come and be established in our life. And we praise your name and thank you for all of this.